Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we help as we, we pray that as we uh, listen to your word, uh, we would know something of the greatness of our Lord Jesus and the good of being his follower, his disciple. Our Father, strengthen us in that conviction and make us the disciples Jesus wants, disciples who make other disciples. And help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Proselytisation, encouraging uh, people to change their team to join your team, recruiting people to your belief, is on the nose in our society. It's associated with the irritation of answering your door and finding an earnest Jehovah's Witness there with the watchtower, or a young Mormon elder uh, encouraging you to trust the deplorable Joseph Smith. At a deeper level, of course, many just reckon it to be wrong to try to change someone's beliefs because their beliefs are an expression of who they are or their culture and wanting them to change is passing a judgment on them, it said. And who are you to say you're better or that what you believe is better? And so this business of trying to encourage people to change their belief, to say become believers in Jesus is seen as impolite, rude, arrogant and divisive, especially if it involves going to another culture and people of other religions, as missionaries do. No amount of good they might do, and they do do good, can justify in our society's eyes their arrogant assumption that the people they go to need to become followers of Jesus. That's the way our world thinks. And sometimes we can pick up on that as believers and go silent on what we believe, live as our world wants us to live, keeping our beliefs about Jesus to ourselves, practising our religion as a purely private, personal thing, bothering no one. Or even becoming fearful of sharing the truth about Jesus with others, however gently and politely because we don't want to be thought rude or arrogant. Uh, But here is the problem for believers in our society who want to keep quiet and even for those who are not yet believers but want to think well of Jesus. You see, Jesus wants people to change their team to join his team. Go, he says to his disciples, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus wants his disciples to make disciples, that is, to make other people who in their turn trust Jesus and live by his teaching, who are loyal to Jesus and accepts what he says is true just because he said it, who submit to live according to what he says is right just because Jesus declares it to be so, because that's what a disciple of Jesus is. And Jesus wants them to make disciples from all nations, from all peoples, whatever their existing religion or culture, no exceptions. And Jesus is really clear about this, isn't he? Go and make disciples. Christian mission starts with Jesus because in Jesus' view, as we'll see, it's a good and right thing to be his disciple. There is nothing better. 
So as we come to look at these last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, I want you to hear at the very beginning that if you're someone who is not yet a Christian and your Christian friend isn't actively trying to persuade you to be a follower of Jesus, you should be angry with them, not grateful. Right? And if you're not angry with them now, and perhaps you are for bringing you here to hear this this morning, I don't know, I hope you will be angry with them by the end for a different reason, for keeping what is so good from you. And if you're a believer who's not actively wanting others to become disciples of Jesus, not sharing in making disciples in some way, and and we'll be thinking of the ways we can share in making disciples, you have a problem. For Jesus says that it's part of the DNA of his disciples, part of their core identity to be making disciples, that it is a commitment to be shared by all who would be his disciples. Now our passage starts with the risen Jesus meeting his disciples in Galilee just as he said he would at the Last Supper. I will go ahead of you to Galilee just as he said he would when he greeted the women who had gone to his tomb. Don't be afraid, he said to them. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me here. And at this point, there can be a couple of misunderstandings that can distract us, so let's deal with them. The first is this. Some people say that there's a contradiction between Matthew having the risen Jesus appear to the disciples in Galilee and John and Luke recording appearances of the risen Jesus to the disciples in Jerusalem. There is no contradiction at all. John's Gospel, in fact, records appearances of Jesus in both Jerusalem and Galilee. You see, all the Gospels are selective in recording the appearances of the risen Jesus. None record them all. Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, records many appearances of the risen Jesus that are not in the Gospels, not in any of them. You see, a failure to record an appearance that is recorded in another gospel doesn't mean that a gospel writer is ignorant of what's written in the other gospel or that there's any contradiction. It just does not suit that gospel writer's purpose to record the particular appearances he leaves out. You see, Matthew has a purpose in focusing on Galilee at the end of his gospel. It's in Galilee that Jesus commenced his ministry at the beginning of the gospel in fulfilment of the prophecy of Isaiah, that Jesus would bring light to those in darkness. It says Jesus left, withdrew into Galilee when John was arrested. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in this land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' ministry began in Galilee. And at the conclusion of his earthly ministry, it is in Galilee, that part of Jewish Palestine that had the closest connections with the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, the world of darkness, that the risen Jesus 
the servant of God, who, as you heard in Isaiah, will be a light to the nations. It's in Galilee that the risen Jesus commissions his disciples to take his mission, which was previously confined to Jews, beyond the Jewish world, to take his gospel to all people. You see, the road that leads to the Gentiles, that before the disciples have been forbidden to take, runs through Galilee, both historically and geographically, as Matthew's Jewish readers knew. Matthew focuses on this appearance of Jesus in Galilee because it suits the purpose of his gospel. He's throughout been conscious of the gospel going beyond the borders of Israel to all peoples, of the Lord Jesus as Lord of all. That's been true of the gospel of Matthew from the very beginning, from the inclusion of the Gentile women in chapter 1 and the appearance of the wise men from the east in chapter 2. And it goes from there into the last week of Jesus' life, where in the parable of the tenants, Jesus could say to the Jewish leaders, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit and declare to his followers when talking to the end that the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Matthew selectively focuses on the resurrection appearances in Galilee of the Gentiles because this is the beginning of the continuation of the story of Jesus in fulfilling the promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed in him the promise that's always been at the background of this gospel. So Matthew's not ignorant of the other resurrection appearances. It is just that recounting them doesn't suit his purpose. And the second misunderstanding is, as you saw, it says that uh, they came and uh, they travelled, they worshipped, but some doubted. Now they're not doubting that it's Jesus or that he's alive from the grave. The verb for doubt is only used in one other place in the gospel in Matthew 14, in the story of Peter walking on the water. Remember, Peter had been walking towards Jesus on the water. He begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. And the passage goes on and says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? What did Peter Doubt. Well, it wasn't Jesus' presence. He knew he was there for certain. He cried out to him. What he doubted was the extent of Jesus' power. And that's what's happening here. The disciples are now in a new and really probably overwhelming situation with the risen Jesus. They're not doubting his presence, but are uncertain about the significance of his risen presence uncertain, some of them, of what it all now means. And that's an uncertainty Jesus addresses by saying to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine, given to me. You see, Jesus is saying that his death and resurrection means now that he has the authority of the glorious Son of Man who has an eternal rule over all peoples, He's saying that he reigns now at the right hand of the Father, that he exercises the authority of God, the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, we'll come back to that 
when we think about why it's right to be a disciple of Jesus. But first and more importantly, why is it good to be a disciple of Jesus? Why does Jesus, without any hesitation, want people, whoever they are, whatever their background, to become his disciples? Well, what does Jesus think is involved in being a disciple? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the close of the age. See, Jesus tells us here that there are three things involved in being his disciple that makes being his disciple the best thing to be. Firstly, there is belonging. Disciples are baptised in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, there is a noble way of life. They are taught to observe everything that Jesus has commanded them. And thirdly, they know an enduring, loving presence. And remember, I am with you always to the close of the age. So let's unpack those three things. Firstly, being a disciple of Jesus means having a belonging and an identity that endures beyond death. Christians have been baptised been being baptised when they believe from the very beginning of the church. And Christians are not just baptised in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that is, on the authority of the one God, not just in it's literally they are baptised into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice it's the one name for there's only one God, the God who's now revealed through the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, as Father, Son and Spirit. To be baptised into speaks of coming into a relationship with and coming under the lordship of, the rule of, this one God. Those baptised into the name of the Father, Son and Spirit are people who now belong to God's household, who carry his name, live under his authority and protection. And baptism is a sign of the way we do this, through forgiveness of our sins, through repentance and faith in Jesus, washed clean of guilt and defilement. Now, to belong to the household of the living God is good, so good. Those in his household are loved by him, dear to him in a special way, just as our own children, if we have them, are special to us, even when we are committed to loving all our neighbours. Those in his household are protected by him, for they carry his reputation in the world. He is tied his glory, to their well-being and prospering. Those in his household can draw near to him, near to the living God, and know that he will hear them and help them when they call on him. And those in his household will enjoy the fulfilment of all he has promised his people, promises of life in the new heaven and earth of that eternal inheritance. <coughs> and this is a secure belonging because, as baptism tells us, it's based on gracious forgiveness. 
not on earning it by our insight or goodness. We don't come to belong to God's household by our own achievements or usefulness. We receive this as a gift through believing the gospel, a gift that comes from God's generous mercy when we're undeserving, a gift that depends on the way God is, gracious and merciful, and he doesn't change. And so it is a secure gift. And this secure belonging by faith is a source of a secure identity. Believers in Jesus, in a sense, know who they are. They know that they are now God's children, his sons and daughters. And that, in a sense, gives them their future, gives them their present, gives them their way of life. And this identity will never be taken away from them, not even by death. And again, it's not an identity that depends on them, on them living up to God's standards. Not an identity that depends on their willing it to be or their feeling it to be but on God, his gracious action of adopting them into his family through faith in Jesus. To be a disciple is good because it gives us a secure, forever belonging and identity. And secondly, to be a disciple is to have embraced a noble way of life. For disciples are those who are taught not just what Jesus has taught, but are taught to do all that Jesus has commanded. You see, they don't just have information. They have a new way of life, and that is so good. Life can be pretty perplexing at times. It can be hard to know what's right, what's right, the right path to take, how to live a life that does good in the world. But disciples of Jesus, those taught by Jesus, Know the path they should tread, and it is a good path. See, read what Jesus teaches, and you see that it's a way of life that commits you to, say, being people of integrity, whose yes is yes and no, no, who know how to attend to their hearts, for they know God expects purity in our hearts. It involves being forgiving people who don't nurse hatred and revenge and instead are free to forgive and love even their enemies. People who are committed to being generous and willing to share, faithful in relationships and more. It's a life where doing good and persevering in it even in the face of opposition, which is what societies need, isn't it? People who will do good even when it's opposed where that life flows from trust in the living God. For the Lord Jesus teaches us to trust God in trusting him, God's king. Now this is a noble way of life, not one mired in selfishness and defiling desire or corrupted by fear, a noble way of life that can live in love of God and neighbour and so be salt and light in a dark world. It is good to be a disciple of Jesus. And thirdly, being a disciple involves living with an enduring, loving presence. The living Lord Jesus with us by his spirit. Remember, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we've sung, disciples are never alone and they are never unknown, never abandoned, not even 
in death. And Jesus' presence is powerful, powerful to work by his grace in our weakness, powerful to keep us from the evil one, powerful to raise us from the dead. When Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples, this is not a power trip on Jesus' part. He already has all authority in heaven and earth and he's not seeking to enrich himself like, say, L. Ron Hubbard. All the treasures of the world are his and he doesn't need our love to boost his ego. He is loved eternally by the Father. When Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples, he is seeking our good. For he knows that those who are his disciples come to enjoy what humans need and are made for. An enduring belonging to the living God where we're his people, his household, and so can be confident of his promise, protection and provision an enduring identity as God's children, a way of life that ennobles and does not debase, that frees, not enslaves, that does good in the world, the presence of our living Saviour with us always. You see, in calling his disciples to make disciples, the Lord Jesus is offering bread to the hungry, living water to the thirsty, healing to the wounded, life to the dying. It is good to be a disciple of Jesus and it is right. Right because Jesus should be trusted and obeyed. He is the one who can deliver. All authority in heaven and on earth, he says, are his. The Lord Jesus, who knew humiliation on earth, says that just as he said he would, He now reigns as the exalted Son of Man. Remember, this is how he answered the high priest. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? You have said it, he said. In the future, you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. He is now that exalted Son who reigns at the Father's right hand. More, the Lord Jesus spoke of the Father as Lord of heaven and earth in Matthew 11. In saying now that he has all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus is saying that he exercises the authority of the creator God over all creation, the God whose word brought it all into being. You see, it's right to be committed to believing and obeying Jesus' word as disciples are, for Jesus' word is the word of God and will never fail. And Jesus has just demonstrated that death cannot stop him doing what he said. For he said he would die and rise again, and he did. He said he would meet the apostles in Galilee, and he has. Jesus' word is a word, a promise, stronger than death itself. Now think for a moment of all the others who want to make disciples for themselves. Muhammad, Buddha, L. Ron Hubbard, Joseph Smith, whoever. They are all dead. And if they're not dead yet, they will be. And their threats and their promises, promises of life perhaps even in some way or other beyond it, their threats and their promises die with them. Jesus alone lives with the authority of the living God. It's actually right to trust him with your life. 
But more, Jesus is the one who loves. We celebrate his resurrection because he first died and he died to rescue us from bondage to our rebellion against God and the death it brings. He dies to rescue us from the fundamental human problem, sin and judgment. That's what he said. He didn't come to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many the night before he died. He spoke of his death as for us, his blood being poured out to bring us forgiveness. Now Jesus wasn't dying because he deserved to die like a criminal, but because we did for our rebellion against our creator, our thanklessness, our ignoring God, our determination to not do what God says, but whatever pleases us. Jesus was dying in our place to give us forgiveness, peace with God, the God we have wronged, and life for our death. Now think about it. Who else loves you like this? Who else loves you enough to lay down his life for you? That love, accompanied as it is with Jesus' authority, that love should be trusted. Trusted to what is what is best for you, to direct you to what is best for you. You see, it's right to be Jesus' disciple, to live by his teaching. And he is the one it is right to worship as the disciples did. See, the Lord Jesus said in his temptation to Satan, go away because it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But now, as we've heard, Jesus accepts worship for he is, as the angel declared him to be at his birth, Emmanuel, God with us. That's why he can say, I am with you always. He can be with us always because he is not limited in his spirit by time and place. And of course, as the glorified Son of Man, Jesus is the one who will judge, the one who will come in glory and gather all the nations and separate them, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, some to eternal punishment and some to eternal life. And that means he alone, as the final judge, can declare now in the present what will be the verdict on your life on that last day, can declare now so you can know it, what your eternal future will be, eternal punishment or eternal life. And as the judge of the last day, no one will overturn his verdict. There'll be no accusation, no last-minute provision of further evidence that will alter his verdict on you, what he declares to be the future of his disciples, life in the new heaven and earth, life for all who love him in loving his people will certainly be their future. See, the living Lord Jesus is the one who loves us, the one who has all authority, the one who is the judge of the last day, the one who has the power and life of God. It is not just good to trust him, it is right to trust him and live by his teaching, right to be his disciple. And so if you're here this morning and not yet a believer in Jesus, know that when someone's encouraging you to take Jesus seriously, 
They're actually trying to share with you what they have found to be good and right. What is good and right for Jesus is the living Lord, the Lord who can forgive and give life, give an enduring belonging and identity, the truth to live by and be always with us. And if you have friends who say they're Christians and are not encouraging you to take Jesus seriously, you should be angry with them for keeping this good to themselves. For Jesus is bread to the hungry, living water to the thirsty, healing to the wounded, life to the dying. But better than being angry, why don't you think of changing teams, of becoming Jesus' disciple yourself? See, it doesn't matter what team you've been on until now, Jesus says you can, whatever your background, become his disciple through believing that he's died for your sins, been buried and been raised from the dead and then acting on that, committing yourself to him by being baptised into his family and then learning to live by his word. And the amazing thing is Jesus wants us, and you know your life better than I do, he wants us to be his disciples. So take him at his word. Ask him to forgive you and make you one of his own. (coughs) And if you do that, come and talk because we are disciples together. And if you don't know how to ask him, well, come and talk. And if you're not sure, well, read a gospel with a Christian friend to find out more about Jesus. Ask questions, come and talk. And if you are a believer in Jesus, I hope you see that to be a disciple is to want others to become disciples of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to call people to believe in him for life instead of death. He sent his disciples into the world to make disciples of all nations. And that command to make disciples is plainly here included in the all Jesus, his commands, his disciples to do and to teach other disciples to do. It is in the Christian DNA to want to help others become disciples of Jesus, something passed on from generation to generation of believers, constitutive of their identity, (coughs) to help others become disciples by sharing the gospel with them and then joining together to learn to do all that Jesus has taught. That's in our DNA. And if you say you're a believer and don't want others to be Jesus' disciples, aren't actively praying, seeking, sharing, teaching in some way, well, then your DNA has mutated so that it's no longer producing the love that our Lord had for the lost, for you and I. The love that he says has to be the family characteristic. And you need to repent of that indifference before you become another life form, someone unrecognisable to Jesus as his disciple. Individually and collectively, wanting others to become disciples of Jesus must always characterise us, be part of who we are, no matter how unpopular or resistant our society is to the idea For being a disciple is good and right. And as many of you know, making disciples by preaching the gospel and teaching God's word is what drives our life together here. You know, uh, we have never had a vision statement or a mission statement in this church. 
And that's because we've never needed anything other than these words of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. You know, we haven't need a vision statement to know what we should be doing, what we're aiming for in our groups, our gathering, our giving. The test for any of our activities here has always been, will it help others hear the gospel clearly? Will it help them become followers of Jesus? And will it help us all keep on being disciples of Jesus by teaching each other all that the Lord Jesus has taught us? Whether that activity has been giving you catechisms to work through with your children entering Sunday school or encouraging you to sustain mums and bubs groups where others can just get to know Christians or paying for children's and youth pastors or making the PA and AV work so we can hear the word taught, serving morning tea and supper so we have a space to practice encouraging one another. It is all about and always about helping others become disciples and helping us persevere as disciples. And this commitment's not something that changes with changing ministers because ministers aren't CEOs who bring their distinctive vision to an organisation and then it all changes when there's a change of CEO. See, like every disciple, ministers are servants of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the boss and he has given us all his instructions. And we have to collectively keep giving ourselves to them, unembarrassed and persevering in all the various forms of service we have that sustains us making disciples together because it's good and right. So we mustn't give up or draw back in weariness post-COVID for the Lord has said his grace will be sufficient for us to do his will. And we mustn't give up in discouragement at others' disinterest or frustration at our own imperfect discipleship. For it's the Lord's word that does the work and it is powerful in itself. It doesn't depend on us for its effectiveness. And we mustn't allow other things in busy lives full of opportunity and obligation to crowd out making disciples and encouraging each other to keep being disciples. So as you hear Jesus' words at the conclusion of the gospel, as he, in a sense, launches his mission into the world, how are you going with being a disciple who makes disciples? And actually, in the long run, the answer to that question will probably be in the answer to this question. How thankful are you to be a disciple of Jesus? Because the mouth speaks from the abundance of our hearts. To be Jesus' disciple is to be called to make disciples, to love others by sharing with them the good you have come to know, that there is nothing better than being Jesus' disciple. It's given you an eternal and secure belonging and identity as God's child, a way of life that's noble and does good in the world, and it's to live with the loving presence of our almighty Saviour always, whose word declares now what your eternity, believing in him, will be, life in the new heaven and earth, as those forgiven and reckoned righteous by the judge of the last day. Go therefore, says our Lord, and make disciples of all nations.
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are the words of our Lord Jesus to us. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we pray that you would refresh us every morning in the goodness of in knowing the goodness of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus so that our hearts are full of thankfulness. And our gracious God, we pray that out of that thankfulness we would each day share the good news that lets others become disciples of Jesus. The good news that he has died for our sins, that he was buried, and that you have raised him from the dead, and he now reigns with all authority, the authority to forgive us and to give us life forever with you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We praise you for his great saving action in his death and for his glorious life. And we pray that we would know his presence with us as he promised each day. In Jesus' name. Amen.